the voice of Orthodox Christianity. This program is sponsored by the United Orthodox Churches of Michiana. The purpose of this Christian program is to offer you, the listening audience, the opportunity to enjoy a 2,000-year Christian tradition of the Holy Orthodox Christian Church. We pray that it will be edifying, informative, comforting, and that it will strengthen your faith, commitment, and love for our Lord Christ and the one holy Catholic and Amstelic Church that he founded and is head of. And now, I present to you, Father George Constantopoulos, priest of the St. Andrew Greek Orthodox Church, to offer the invocation. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Glory to Thee, our God. Glory to Thee. O Heavenly King, O Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who art in all places and fillest all things, the treasury of good things and giver of life, come and dwell in us and cleanse us from every stain and save us as a gracious Lord. Amen. Christ is in our midst, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. He is and ever shall be. This is Father Mille from St. Peter and Paul's Serbian Orthodox Church of South Bend. You are listening to the voice of Orthodox Christianity of Michiana. And this program is brought to you by Circle of Serbian Sisters, Tsarica Milica. The image of God was truly preserved in you, O Mother, for you took up the cross and followed Christ. By so doing, you taught us to disregard the flesh, for it passes away, but to care instead for the soul, since it is immortal. Therefore, your spirit, O Holy Mother Mary, rejoices with the angels. Saint Mary of Egypt, penitent, lived in the 5th century. A certain Mary lived the life of a hermit in Palestine, according to John Moshus and her tomb was visited by Cyril of Scythopolis, who in his life of Kyriakus related how two of his disciples had met a woman hermit in the desert beyond Jordan, and on a second visit found her dead and buried her. According to this popular and agreeably written source, Mary was an Egyptian, who left home at the age of 12 and went to live in Alexandria where she became a prostitute for 17 years. At the age of 29, through curiosity, she joined a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, paying for her passage by offering herself to the sailors. Once at Jerusalem, she was held back from entering the church with the other pilgrims by an invisible and irresistible force. Lifting her eyes to an icon of the Mother of God, she was told to go over to Jordan where she would find rest. She bought three loaves and went to live in the desert, where for the rest of her long life she lived on dates and berries. Her clothes wore out, but her hair grew long and took their place. She could not read, but was divinely instructed in the Christian faith. A devout monk called Zosimus met her by chance in the desert, covered her with his cloak at her own request, and heard her story. I struggled with many afflictions and with terrible temptations, but from that time till now the power of God in numerous ways has guarded my sinful soul and my humble body. When I only reflect on the evils from which our Lord has delivered me, I have imperishable food for hope of salvation. I am fed and clothed by the all-powerful word of God, 
the Lord of all. For it is not the bread alone that man lives, and those who have stripped off the rags of sin have no refuge, hiding themselves in the clefts of the rocks. Job 24 and Hebrews 11:38. Hearing that she cited words scripture from Moses and Job, Zosimus asked her, And so you have read the Psalms and other books? She smiled at this and said to the elder, Believe me, I have not seen a human face ever since I crossed the Jordan, except yours today. I have not seen a beast or a living being ever since I came into the desert. I never learned from books. I have never even heard anyone who sang and read from them. But the word of God, which is alive and active, by itself teaches a man knowledge. And so, this is the end of my tale. But, as I ask you in the beginning, so even now, I implore you for the sake of the incarnate word of God to pray to the Lord for me, who am such a sinner. Thus concluding her tale, she bowed down before him, and with tears the elder exclaimed, Bless is God, who creates the great and wonders, the glorious and marvelous without end. Blessed is God, who has shown me how he rewards those who fear him. Truly, O Lord, thou dost not forsake those who seek thee. He promised to meet her in the same place next Holy Thursday to bring her Holy Communion. This was done and arrangements made for another meeting. But when he came, he found her dead body, which a lion helped him to bury. The story was reworked by Sophronius of Jerusalem, who dramatized the story. This legend stressed the vital topic of repentance. The story of Mary was included in the collection of St. Simeon, Metaphrastes, and retold by many writers. The figure of Mary is distinctive in her representation in art, gaunt and bony with long, unkempt white hair and no head covering. She is sometimes depicted without any clothes at all, and her body is covered with hairs or sores. In church programs, she appears either among the holy women or opposite the bishop Zosimus, who holds a paten and a spoon with which he offers her communion. The later scene often occupies a position near the altar apse. Having been a sinful woman, you became through repentance a bride of Christ. Having attained angelic life, you defeated demons with the weapon of the cross. Therefore, O most glorious Mary, you are a bride of the kingdom.
O dweller of the wilderness, an angel in the body, you were a wonder worker, O our God-bearing Father John. You received heavenly gifts through fasting, vigil, and prayer, healing the sick and the souls of those drawn to you by faith. Glory to him who gave you strength. Glory to him who granted you a crown. Glory to him who through you grants healing to all. According to the Oxford Dictionary of Saints, Saint John the Climacus, monk and abbot of Mount Sinai, died in 649. A native of Palestine, he was married in early life and became a monk on the death of his wife. After some years in community, John became a hermit for the greater part of his life, living at the toll like the Egyptian monks, coming with other solitaries to church on Saturday and Sunday, but sending the rest of the week in almost complete solitude. There he wrote the work which gave him his name, Climacus, leather, usually called the leather to paradise. This influential treatise of monastic spirituality deals with vices and virtues, community and hermetical life, at the pursuit of apathia, which was regarded as a perfect state. At the age of 70 he was chosen as abbot of Sinai and ruled for four years before retiring to his hermitage. He died at the age of about 80. His concept of the spiritual life as a ladder inspired artists to develop interesting pictorial conventions as illustrations, while his own emblem is also a ladder. Climax's major work, The Ladder of Paradise, or The Heavenly Ladder, summarizes the experience of the Desert Fathers as reflected in the Apophthegmata Patrum. It is a systematic presentation of vices and virtues, in scenes and more often in direct indoctrinations and definitions. They do not form a hierarchy of modes of behavior and are only superficially connected with the concept of the ladder. As reflected in the title, the ascetical life is portrayed as a ladder which each aspirant must ascend, each step being a virtue to be acquired or a vice to be surrendered. Its 30 steps reflect the hidden life of Christ himself. This work had a fundamental influence in the development of Christian monasticism generally, and particularly the hesychastic Jesus prayer or prayer of the heart movement. John ends by quoting 1 Corinthians 13.13, 13, saying that the three greatest virtues are faith, hope, and agape, Christian love, of which agape is the worthiest. On faith, hope, and love, St. John writes the following. And now at last, after all that has been said, there remains that triad, faith, hope, and love, binding and securing the union of all. But the greatest of these is love, 1 Corinthians 13, 13, since that is the very name of God himself, 1 John 4, 8. To me they appear one as a ray, one as light, and one as a disk, and all as a single radiance and a single splendor. The first can make and create all things, the mercy of God encircles the second and keeps it from confusion, while the third never falls never halts on its way, never gives respite to the man wounded by its blessed rapture. The man who wants to talk about love is undertaking to speak about God, 
but it is risky to walk. But it is risky to talk about God and could even be dangerous for the unwary. Angels know how to speak about love, but even they do so only in proportion to the light within them. God is love, 1 John 4:16. But someone eager to define this is blindly striving to measure the sand in the ocean. Love by its nature is a resemblance to God insofar as this is humanely possible. In its activity, it is an abbreviation of the soul. Its distinctive character is to be a fountain of faith, an abyss of patience, a sea of humility. Love is the banishment of every sort of contrariness, for love thinks no evil. Love, dispassion, and adoption are distinguished by name and name only. Light, fire, and flame join to fashion one activity, so too with love, dispassion, and adoption. Fear shows up if ever love departs, for the man with no fear is either filled with love or is dead in spirit. There is nothing wrong about offering human analogies for a longing fear, concern, zeal, service, and love of God. Lucky the man who loves and longs for God as a smitten lover does for his beloved. Lucky the man whose fear of God is in no way less than the fear of the accused in front of a judge. Lucky the man who is caught up with the zeal of loyal slaves toward their owner. Lucky the man who is as passionately concerned with the virtues as a jealous husband watching over his wife. Lucky the man who prays before God like a courtier before the king. Lucky the man who strives without end to please the Lord as others try to please man. Not even a mother clings to her nursing child as a son of love clings to the Lord at all times. Someone truly in love keeps before his mind's eye the face of the beloved and embraces it there tenderly. Even during sleep, the longing continues on a beast, and he murmurs to his beloved. That is how it is for the body, and that is how it is for the spirit. A man wounded by love has it to say about himself, and it really amazes me. I sleep, because nature commands this, but my heart is awake, because of the abundance of my love. Song of Songs 5.2. You should take note, my brother, that the stag, which is the soul, destroys the reptiles and then inflamed by love as if struck by an arrow. It longs and grows faint for the love of God. Psalm 41.1 The impact of hunger is not always obvious, but thirst has a definite and clear effect. It reveals to all the presence of favor. Hence someone who yearns for God has this to say, my soul is thirsty for God, for the mighty and living God, Psalm 41.3. If the sight of the one we love clearly makes a change completely, so that we turn cheerful, glad, and carefree, what will the face of the Lord himself not do as he comes to dwell invisibly in a pure soul? When fear arises from the deeper reaches of the soul, it destroys and devours impurity. Nail down my flesh with fear of you. Psalm 118, 120. So it is said.
Holy love has a way of consuming some. This is what is meant by the one who said, You have ravished our hearts, ravished them, Song of Songs 4.9, and it makes others bright and overjoyed. In this regard, it has been said, My heart was full of trust, and I was helped, and my flesh has revived, Psalm 27.7. For when the heart is cheerful, the face beams, Proverbs 15.13. And a man flooded with the love of God reveals in his body, as if in a mirror the splendor of his soul, a glory like that of Moses when he came face to face with God. Exodus 34, 29-35 Men who have attained this angelic state often forget to eat, and I really think that they do not even miss their food. No wonder, since an opposite desire drives out the very wish to eat, and indeed, I suspect that the bodies of these incorruptible men are immune to sickness, for their bodies have been sanctified and rendered incorruptible by the flame of chastity which has put out the flame. My belief is that they accept without any pleasure the food set out in front of them, for just as sub Terranen waters nourish the roots of a plant. The fires of heaven are there to sustain their souls. The growth of fear is the starting point of love, and total purity is the foundation of for theology. When a man's senses are perfectly united to God, then what God has said is somehow mysteriously clarified. But where there is no union of this kind, then it is extremely difficult to speak about God. The consubstantial word brings purity to completion, and his presence destroys death. And when that is done away with, the disciple of sacred knowledge is illuminated. The word of the Lord, being from the Lord, remains eternally pure. The man who does not know God speaks about him only in probabilities. Purity makes of a disciple someone who can speak of God, and he can move on to a knowledge of the Trinity. For who loves the Lord has first loved his brother, for the latter is proof of the former. Someone who loves his neighbor will never tolerate slanderers and will run from them as though from a fire. And the man who claims to love the Lord but is angry with his neighbor is like someone who dreams he's running. Hope is the power behind love. Hope is what causes us to look forward to the reward of love. Hope is an abundance of hidden treasure. It is the abundant assurance of the riches in store for us. It is a rest from labor, a doorway of love. It lifts despair and is the image of what is not yet present. When hope fails, so does love. Struggles are bound by it, labors depend on it, and mercy lies all around it. The hopeful monk slays despondency, kills it with his sword. Hope comes from the experience of the Lord's gift, and someone with no such experience must be ever in doubt. Hope is destroyed by anger, for hope does not disappoint, and the angry man has no grace. Love grants prophecy, miracles. It is an abyss of illumination, a fountain of fire, bubbling up to inflame the thirsty soul. It is the condition of angels and the progress of eternity.
most beautiful of all the virtues. Tell us where you feed your flock, where you take your noonday rest. We read in Song on Songs 1-7. Enlighten us and our thirst. Lead us, show us the way, since we long to soar up to you. You rule everything, and now you have enraptured my soul. I am unable to hold in your flame, and therefore I will go forward praising you. You rule the power of the sea. You make gentle and deaden the surge of its waves. You make humble the proud thought as a wounded man. With your powerful arm, you have scattered your enemies. Psalm 88, 9, 10. And you have made your lovers invincible. I long to know how Jacob saw you fixed above the ladder, Genesis 28:12. That climb, how was it? Tell me, for I long to know. What is the mode, what is the law joining together those steps that the lover has set as an ascent in his heart, Psalm 83:6. I thirst to know the number of those steps and the time required to climb them. He who discovered your struggle and your vision has spoken to us of the guides, but he would not, perhaps he could not tell us any more. This empress, as if coming from heaven, spoke thus in my soul's hearing, my love, you will never be able to know how beautiful I am unless you get away from the grossness of the flesh. So let this letter teach you the spiritual union of the virtues. And I am there on the summit, for as the great man said, a man who knew me well, remaining now are faith, hope, and love, these three, but love is the greatest of them all. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Even though the monastic status is considered as supreme, the layman is not excluded from salvation if he avoids theft falsehood, herod, etc. John refers to angels and demons and to biblical personages. John's style ranges between enigmatic obscurity and aphoristic simplicity of presentation. Almost hymnic is the cadence of his repetitive definitions. Patience is the revocation of baptism. Patience is a contract with God concerning the second life. Metaphors and similes are abundant, often borrowed from animal mythology. The latter was extremely popular. The next was commented on by scholars including Photius and translated in the West and in the Slav countries. Portraits of John appear occasionally in church decoration and on icons especially those from Sinai. His text, however, was not illustrated in monumental painting. The letter was first extensively illustrated in manuscripts in the 11th century. The simplest versions show only the letter's 30 rungs and sometimes the author, modeled as an evangelist portrait. In a brief summary and exhortation, St. John the Climacus writes, Ascend, my brothers, ascend eagerly, let your hearts resolve be to climb. Listen to the voice of the one who says, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of our God, Isaiah 2.3, who makes our feet to be like the feet of the deer, 
who sets us on the high places that we may be triumphant on his road. Habakkuk 3.19 Run, I beg you, run with him who said, let us hurry until we all arrive at the unity of faith and of the knowledge of God, at mature manhood, at the measure of the stature of Christ's fullness, Ephesians 4.13. Baptized in the 30th year of his earthly age, Christ attended the 30th step on the spiritual ladder. For God indeed is love, and to him be praise, dominion, power. In him is the cause, past, present, and future, of all that is good forever and ever. Amen. The Lord truly set you on the heights of abstinence to be a guiding star, showing the way to the universe, O our Father and Teacher John. Oh, <laughs>